Hello, my name's Ros Neesby and I go to the 8.30am service. Today's Bible reading, reading is from Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 to 17. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will pour my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let the wilderness and its town raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Sela sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. When I was nine years old, I was on holiday in America with my family. 
and we'd gone to a theme park, to one of those water parks, having a great time, and then out of nowhere, I got lost. I found myself without my family, hundreds, thousands of people around me, but suddenly I was actually alone. I felt immediately terrified. <laughs> it's a memory which I can still kind of feel even to this day. I, I felt like I'd been abandoned, that these people who were supposed to be taking care of me had just kind of forgotten about me. Uh, maybe I was an anxious kid, but it felt like my anxiety went from zero to 100 in an instant. I didn't know what to do when I was lost there. I felt like I was at the mercy of forces completely beyond my control. Here was me, this little kid in a foreign country, small, weak, unable to do anything. I mean, what possible solution could I find to this problem? I was terrified. And so, through my mind, started to race all of the questions that you ask yourself when you're lost. Well, how did this happen to me? Why did my family take their eyes off me? Were they not paying enough attention? Do my family even really love me? And now, what, what's going to happen to me? Will I ever see my family again? Will I ever get to go home again? Or is that life now gone? I even, I confess, I had thoughts of what will my life be now as a, a, a lost homeless boy living in America. I started to think about and entertain those kind of prospects. I gave up hope is what happened as I found myself in that situation. Now, to, maybe this is going to draw a long bow, but I suspect that in our current situation, this COVID world that we find ourselves in, there are elements of what I felt that day being lost in that theme park that we are all feeling now to a degree. Certainly a sense of isolation, a sense of loneliness, a sense of perhaps even being abandoned in the midst of all this. Where are our friends? Where is our family? Where perhaps is God during all of this? We find ourselves at the mercy of forces beyond our control, forces that threaten us. And the normal world that we once knew, our old life, just feels so far away, doesn't it? And, and to be frank, it's exhausting. <laughs> We all know that it is exhausting. As the weeks turn into months, it is hard to hold on to hope that we will ever be rescued, that things will ever go back to the way that they were. Hope is slipping through our fingers for many of us. I suspect that there are some of us who today are even wrestling with the question, can I really be bothered to hold on to my hope in Jesus in all of this? Because it is wearying, it is tiring, isn't it? Frankly, many of us are probably just feeling very low, very weak, very worn out at this point. This passage in the book of Isaiah that we've just had read, it comes to God's people at a time at which they felt abandoned. They felt threatened by forces beyond their control. It came at a time when they were in exile in Babylon, where they'd been far from their home, removed from their homes for, for 70 years it was the worst crisis, really, in Israel's history. Now, God has spoken to this group of exiles. Last week, we saw in chapter 40, he makes a promise of comfort to them. But they're still in exile. They're living far from home. They're at the mercy of forces beyond their control, and they're giving up hope. 
And as they look around at their circumstances, they're starting to question, well, weren't we supposed to be God's treasured possession, his special people? Where is God in all of this? Does God even really care about us? That is the question, in fact, that they ask in chapter 40, uh, verse 27. Chapter 40, verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by God. Israel, at this point, are discouraged. They are weak. They are scared. They're hanging on by a thread. And as we come to chapter 42 today, Israel are described there in verse 3 in a couple of ways. They're described as a bruised reed or as a smoldering wick. They're both these kind of images that speak to fragility, that speak to uh, only hanging on by a thread. They have been battered and used up. Their energy is gone. They're about to be snuffed out. At least that's how they feel. And in this section of Isaiah, in chapter 42, verses 1 to 17, God is going to address his people when they are at their lowest. He's going to have a word for the weary, I think. And I think that that word is going to be an encouragement for us today in our weariness. But it's actually not all that God has got to say in this passage, because at this point, he hasn't just got a word for the weary. He's got a word for the world. And that's something that we need to hear too, actually, because it implicates us. But first, let's have a think about this word for the weary. God's word that comes to Israel at this point is a word of hope. It's a word which centers on this character that we meet in this passage called the servant of the Lord. Now, in response to their questions and their their feelings of abandonment that they have been opposing to God, God puts this servant on center stage and he shines the spotlight on him and he says, here he is. This figure that we meet here is somehow going to be the solution to their weariness. This person is going to resolve their fear. He's going to assure them that they are not alone. He's going to put the broken pieces of their lives back together. Just like I needed the intervention of someone outside of myself to solve my predicament when I had been lost, I needed a hero, and I got one in a a lifesaver who kindly helped me. So Israel need a hero at this point to intervene into their circumstances. Now have a look at the way that this servant is introduced here in verse 1. He is chosen by God, we're told. And we're told that this servant perfectly pleases God in every way, that God actually delights in him. Now, you and I, in and of ourselves, sadly, that is never true of us. God never looks at any one of us and says, you know, for who you are, I am delighted in you. And yet, God can look at this servant and say, I delight in him. Look at this servant. It says that he is, he is upheld by God. They supported by God. Verse 1, he's empowered by God's spirit. I will put my spirit on him, we're told. And God wants us to see here how ready this servant is to, to help God's people. Now have a look at these words in verse 6. Uh, in verse 6, God Almighty says to the servant... He says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people. 
You see, the, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who brought every nation into being, the one who sustains everything by his powerful word and spirit, he now speaks to his servant, he fills him with his spirit, and this servant is now equipped, capable and able to do God's work. And so, verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged. I mean, how could he? He's been chosen by God. He's upheld by God. He's called by God, filled with God's spirit. He won't falter in this work. He won't be discouraged. He will persistently and calmly achieve what God sets out for him to do. The people of God at this point seemed so far gone, like a broken reed or a smoldering wick. And yet, they are not too far gone for the servant. And it's worth remembering that none of us are too far gone for God. None of us have a flame that has gone so low that God is not able to rescue, redeem and help us. The people of God seem to be as low as low could be. And yet the servant comes to them and he won't be frustrated in his work. He's able to care for the weak. And actually, those, the same two words that are used in the original language in verse 3 to describe Israel, uh, they are used again in verse 4. That is, the people of God have become, and the words there, verse 3, are that they've become crushed and faint. But the servant, he won't become crushed and faint. The same words are used there. The servant will find himself, in fact, under the same pressures that have made the people of God burn low and give up, but he won't give up. He is empowered by God's Spirit, and so he can perfectly bring the hope that we need. So look at what he does. First of all, verse 1 and verse 3. He brings justice to the nations. He, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth, God says. And now, now that is what Israel wanted at this point, isn't it? They wanted for God to come and establish justice. They wanted God to rule uh, for God to extend his rule over the nations, the nations who had ripped them from their home, to put things back in their right place. And God actually says, yes, I'm coming and I will bring justice through my servant. Now, when, when you and I think of that word and we hear that word justice, we usually think uh, probably in terms of kind of punishment for crimes. You know, justice is people getting what they deserve when they do wrong. This week, there have been calls for justice for those irresponsible young girls who have brought the coronavirus back into Queensland. Calls for appropriate punishment and fine to be handed out. Calls for justice. And that's, that is part of the picture of justice. It's part of the meaning of the word. But the biblical idea for justice is actually far bigger than that. Really, uh, justice, spoken of here in, in chapter 42, is, it's the opposite to chaos. That's what justice is. A world where justice is uh, restored is a world where everything is ordered correctly, as God created it to be. And so understand that this servant has come, in fact, to restore this broken world, to put all things right and notice what else this servant is going to achieve. Uh, in verse 6, uh, God says to this servant, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people. Uh, it's a strange kind of turn of phrase to speak of someone being a covenant or an agreement. Usually, you know, a covenant is something that's established 
between two parties that outlines the terms and conditions for these two parties to come together. But here, the servant, it seems, is going to be himself the very place where the people of the world and God can connect. Justice and a place to meet with God. That's what the servant's going to bring. And what a prospect that would have been for this weary people who feel alone and abandoned and without hope. God wanted them, and I think he wants us to know that things will not always be this bleak. God's chosen servant is going to fix this broken world, and he will be the very point of connection between God and his people. What a prospect for the people of Israel that would have been to look forward to in the midst of their disorder, in the midst of their disconnection. The servant will bring justice and will be a covenant. What a prospect for them to look forward to. And friends, what a reality for us to look back to. Because of course, this servant did come. Uh, The one that Isaiah was speaking about was the Lord Jesus Christ. If you flick over to Matthew chapter 12, uh, Matthew chapter 12, come there with me. In Matthew 12, uh, the Pharisees are out to kill Jesus, and Jesus uh, knows that that's what's going on. And so we're told there in verse 15, uh, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him, and this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. And he goes on to quote from our passage, Isaiah chapter 42. You see, as Jesus comes to the nation of Israel and as he starts to heal the sick, as he brings in the weak and the frail, what we're seeing is a glimpse of the restoration that God has promised in Isaiah 42. The reordering of the universe has begun through Jesus. It's not finished yet. Now, that is why there is still injustice and disorder in this world. But it's begun. And and in his kingdom, we see a small foretaste of it. Jesus has started to bring justice. So friends, take heart. When it feels like things are out of control, no, the justice work of God has begun. And with the arrival of Jesus, we now have a place to connect with God through Jesus himself. He's opened up the way for us to have a relationship with God. And so even in our bleakest moments, when it feels like the light's about to go out, we're never truly alone. We are never abandoned. Isn't that good news for weary people today? As the weak, frail people of God, this is the servant that we need. And he deals with us gently and we are glad for it. We come to him in our weakness, seeking his help to sustain us, and he gladly gives it. That is God's word for the weary. But God's got something else to say in this passage. He's got something to say to the whole world too, not just his weary people. Because this servant's arrival has repercussions for the whole world. 
Because you see, actually the nations are on view all throughout this passage. It mentions in verse 1, talks about the nations. Verse 4 and 10 refer to the islands. Verse 6 talks about the Gentiles, all the non-Jewish people. This is a group of people who, according to verse 7, have blind eyes. They are captives in prison. They are chained in dungeons, sitting in darkness. They are lost. And later on in verse 17, we're told actually that this group of people, the nations, that they worship idols. Instead of worshipping the one true God, they make images and worship the works of their hands. It's a very stark and a very sobering kind of picture of a world who does not submit to God. And in fact, they stand as God's enemies. And, and God wants them to know what the arrival of this servant means for them, for the nations. This servant, remember, he comes to bring justice. So what should the enemies of God expect when this servant comes? Well, look at these incredible words. In verse 6, God will make the servant a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. And in verse 4, he, the teaching of this servant in the teaching, the islands will put their hope. That's a surprise. That ought to make our jaws drop to the floor. It's not just, you see, Israel that are going to benefit from this servant's arrival. In God's incredible mercy, his plan is that through the servant, the whole world would find hope and healing and release from darkness. Uh, in verse 16, God speaks of a day when he will lead the blind by ways they have not known along unfamiliar paths. He will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places, places smooth. What a staggering twist that is. That the, the servant is going to go not just to the people of God, but through him, the light will break into the darkest dungeons of the nations and idol worshippers will be released from slavery. You see, unlike the, the smouldering flame of the people of God, which was good for not really giving light to anyone, the light of the servant is going to break into the darkest places. Countless nations, countless lives transformed by the light this servant brings. I mentioned earlier the, the healing work of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 12. But really, that's only a, a shadow of Jesus' ultimate work. As the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, we now in Christ have been released from darkness, brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The darkness, you see, that the servant has come to rescue us from is the darkness of sin. And the light that he brings is the light of God's forgiveness. The arrival of the servant signals an invitation for the nations to turn to God. And to find forgiveness for their sin. It's the invitation of verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it. You islands and all who live, to them, live in them. Turn from idols, you nations, and worship the Lord. His servant has come to set you free from sin. This is good news for the nations. I, I checked the statistics this week. And I discovered that on average, about 20 or 25% week by week of the people who view these services are watching from a country outside Australia. So, if you are watching this from Japan or from Brazil or from South Africa or wherever in the world you are, 
in a very real sense, this invitation is for you. No matter where you are, if you are someone who has not yet bowed your knee to God's servant, Jesus, then this invitation is for you to receive the forgiveness of your sins and to become part of God's people. Now, if you'd like to talk about that further, you can get in contact with us at WBC and we'd be really happy to chat to you about what that would look like. So this is God's word for the world here. But I mentioned earlier that this word for the world actually has implications for us who are already God's people. And as I finish, I just want to think about this for a couple of minutes with you. Because the, the kind of the paradoxical thing as you read chapter 42 is that the work of the servant here, uh, it doesn't actually stop with the arrival of the servant, with the arrival of Jesus. In fact, the servant is now doing this work through us. These songs you see, that you read all throughout Isaiah, the songs of the suffering servant. Yes, they're about Jesus, but they're about more than Jesus. Because in one sense, Jesus didn't accomplish this, did he? Do you remember what Jesus did when the nations came to him? He sent them away. He said, my ministry is to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus himself didn't go on mission to the nations. What did he do instead? He commissioned people to go. After his resurrection, everything changes. And Jesus himself, you see, he doesn't do this work of the servant. Rather, he entrusted this aspect of the servant's role to us, to his church. That is how the Apostle Paul understood it. If you flick over to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, uh, the Apostle Paul, he takes uh, one of the servant songs in Isaiah, as he does in several other places, and he applies it to himself. Have a look from Acts chapter 13, verses 46 and 47. Uh, chapter 13, verses 46 and 47. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now that is spoken, that's taken from Isaiah 49. It's spoken about the servant. And yet Paul says that's about him and about us. This is what the Lord commanded us, says Paul. Us, weak, frail, lost, discouraged people. People like us who've just simply had our lives transformed by the work of Jesus so that we now become lights in a dark world. You see, Jesus continues his work as a servant of the Lord through Paul and through us. He, he delegates his work and he empowers us for it. He does it through us to take the light to the nations. You know, we, are, we are broken reeds. We are smoldering wicks, but filled with the Spirit of God, commissioned by God, we are the light to the nations. The same spirit that God gave to Jesus, Jesus has given to us and to empower us, to, to send us out. And as we go out, we go with the attitude of the servant, that, that humble, quiet confidence that God will do his work. We don't go out and, and expect that everyone is going to accept us. But like Jesus, a humble, quiet confidence that God will work through his people by his word and his spirit. 
And frankly, friends, I think that's a word that we need to hear today too because it, it is easy during this COVID period that we're in to become overly introspective, to just feed our self-pity week by week. But friends, we have to remember that God's mission has not stopped during this time. God is committed still to bringing his light to the nations through everyday servants like you and I. We, the once lost people, have that light of the gospel that can spark hope in the darkness, forgiveness for even the most unlikely. And so, friends, we cannot falter in this task. We cannot be discouraged. We must call on the nations to sing a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them. Sing to the Lord a new song, all the nations. What a task we have ahead of us. Let me pray. Lord Almighty, we thank you for your son, your servant, the Lord Jesus, the one who comes to bring justice to a broken world, uh, to broken lives. Thank you that in him we have a meeting place with you. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, the light that he offers to our darkness. God, we pray that you would please comfort us in our weariness this morning. Please fill us with your spirit so that we are empowered to be lights in this dark world at this time. We know that you have not stopped working and so, Lord, neither will we. Please fit us for this task, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.